Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I go by the name of Q Ward. Ramses calls me Q. My mom calls me Q. So you might as well call me Q. <laughs> and sometimes your mom calls you Q dirty. And that's sometimes all right. Too. Mom calls me. Do you know how cool it is <laughs> that my mom calls me Q dirty? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, got another uh, excellent show uh, for you today and an interesting show, uh, a lot for you to stick around for. So um, stay tuned because we are going to be talking about a story that's come up a couple of times this week uh, about a family that, um, without giving too much away, will say had to quote unquote play the game um, with their house in order to get a fair appraisal. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about that, peel back a couple layers and hopefully share some personal examples because I know I've had to do that before. And I know you've had to do we both have had to do that before in the same room. So definitely want to talk about that. Um, we're also going to, uh, you know, there's a couple of common motifs around here. So we're going to talk about what it means to be a bully. Uh, there's been a lot of videos that we've seen um, this week. Uh, normally, we try to you know, ping pong back and forth. But I know this week we've shared, we've both seen a lot of videos, some of which have included human beings losing their lives at the hands of police unfairly um, by all accounts, even those police departments. And so we want to really pull back a couple of layers there and uh, really challenge the uh, hero narrative, not because it's not deserved, but because it doesn't really leave a lot of space for errors for people that don't want to think critically about this institute these institutions will say and a lot more uh to come as well but first we are going to discuss some ebony excellence um, so uh this week we're going to talk about someone who's near uh physically near to <laughs> you out there in atlanta she goes by the name of stacy abrams so well first off what's your thoughts on on stacy abrams um, so part of our plight as a people, um, and I don't mean just black people, I mean people in general, is our lack of ability to find common ground. There is far more that we have in common than what separates us. Sure. We spend so much more time on what separates us. Stacey Abrams has found a way to at least have some collective of people with a singular agenda. And she's been able to organize and mobilize in a way that many people have tried, but not many have been as successful as she has. So she had an unsuccessful run for governor. People I think eventually thought that she would run for mayor. Um, but what she did is she just found a way to organize people who had the same thoughts, the same ideas, had the same goals and wanted to reach the same point and got all those people to organize, mobilize, and get in the streets, bro. Get people to vote, get people to show up at the polls. And she's almost singularly responsible for the Democrats having the representation that they needed from those seats that were available in Georgia. I remember that. You know, flipping the state and getting people to come out in large numbers to you know, show up and vote. And her ability to organize, I think she's going to use for her own benefit this time because she did run for governor before. She lost to Brian Kemp in a way that, you know, may have been a little fishy. 
Right, right. Speak on. However, she's she's the one, bro. If we had to champion someone, she's the one. Uh, I think her chances of success this time are really high. But you and I have have gone back and forth in this show about all the the ways that our legislators, our politicians, the people that we put in office are now going out of their way to make it more difficult for more people to vote. She's the person on the opposite side of that. And she might even be directly responsible for all of these states doubling down on making it harder for poor people and people of color to show up at these polls and to vote. So shout out to her for being a person of the people, not just people that look like her and not just people that have her ideas, but just people in general. Well, that sounds like ebony excellence to me. So we'll take that all day. Uh, Again, shout out to Stacey Abrams and hopefully she has a successful run for governor. Moving on. All right. So. You know the story, Q, because we've shared you know, uh, in preparation for today's show, um, black couple. Uh, oh, wow. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, first, the reason that we share these types of, uh, issues on this program is because, you know, some of the news sources aren't able to peel back the layers the way that we feel might be necessary, you know, for folks to really be able to s- know what the experience is like. Um, and we are trying to create more empathetic allies or more empathetic people who, you know, maybe they're on the fringes or they're living their own lives and they don't really consider themselves allies to the plight of like black and brown people in this country. And so we're, we're hoping to explain things in a way that is beyond the text that you might find and, you know, just kind of give it some, some more context. And so I'll begin. Um, long story short, uh, and my sources come from the Washington Post and the uh, Daily Mail uh, in the United Kingdom, who did a cover for the story as well. Black couple um, ultimately ended up suing a real estate agency after their Bay Area home was valued at just $995,000. But a, a $1.42 million valuation uh, came about when they removed all photos uh, of themselves and asked white friends to pose as the owners for viewing um, for when the uh, appraiser came to view the property uh, a second time. So just by swapping out the family photos and them not being there themselves and having a white couple come in, they gained, you know, nearly half a million dollars in additional wealth in their appraisal of their property. Right. Um, Now, there are a lot of people that might say, well, this is one example that, you know, that's not across the board. Um, and you know, to a degree they might be right, but overall, based on the experience that I've had, that the people that I know have had, you know, this is like, when I first read this, I was like, oh my God, that's genius. I wonder how much my house would have been worth if I had done that. What a, what an excellent idea. Right. Not to say that I was, you know, I, I, fortunately I've had a very, I'm very, very good run. And so I, I live in a nice house in a nice neighborhood and, you know, the property values, they kind of, you know, have a, I wouldn't be able to lose too much value, but in this house, I was able to see it and I could see that they had added additional construction elements and so forth, which is not really possible where I live. So, um, but let me finish uh, and then we'll get into this. Um, so 
the couple's name is Paul and Tanisha Austin. Um, and they believe that race was the reason that their home uh, was undervalued because the only thing that they had changed was the race of the people trying to get the valuation on the property. Um, again, they bought the home in 2016 uh, for 890000 It was valued at 995000 despite spending $400,000 on renovations. Um, again, that's not really possible where I'm at. So, you know, some other details here. Um, and then, uh, as I mentioned, they, they brought in a, some friends of theirs to sit in the house and kind of receive the valuation under their name, Paul and Tanisha Austin. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, they got the higher valuation. This process is called whitewashing. Now, I got at least one story that I can share, but I know many examples um, throughout my life when this type of tactic, not this exact tactic, but this type of tactic has been necessary. Um, and I'll share one of them. So where I live in Arizona, I have to interact with people. Um, some of these people are business people, right? And they're accustomed to doing business with folks that look like them. Um, and I understood that, right? So, you know, the platonic ideal, whatever's in your mind right now, if I had to guess, it's a white middle-aged male in a business suit, you know, and he's got a briefcase and this is the business person that I will be interacting with. And you wouldn't be wrong because this is the type of person I have to interact with. Um, and I remember early on, uh, I created an, a company to procure advertisements. You know, I, I work in radio and, uh, I was trying to put together these ad packages for various companies and organizations that included me <laughs> in the advertising package, right? So I could get paid for doing the media buys, but also I could get paid as the endorser of said initiative, right? Or whatever call to action there was. Um, my background, like I, I went to school, um, my bachelor's is in marketing, my master's is in management. I know how to talk the talk. I know how to walk the walk. I have results, you know, I've done okay, you know, out here. Um, but I look how I look, uh, you know, and, and to be fair, it's not just that I'm black. I'm also very and young. Can you looking. describe, can you describe how you look for our listeners who have, who don't see us? <laughs> Cause that's um, important, right? Okay. And I'm, I'm sorry to cut Ramses off, but you guys hear Ramses's amazing voice and you fun. may have no idea how he looks because he's so well-spoken and so articulate. That's very kind. Looks, Thank you. He looks like the type of person that someone would say that about. He's so well spoken. Sure. Right. Sure. Such a such a such a a a backhanded compliment. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But these things in my more formative years had informed how I would quote unquote play the game, how I would do my whitewashing because of backhanded compliments like that. I knew that I had the potential, but I also knew I had the potential provided that I, you know, took a, 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 a less obvious route. And I'll get to that in just a second. That might be a little misleading, but um, I, you know, I, I know how to put on a suit. So, you know, I, my tattoos don't really come into play when I have a suit on and I'm in a business meeting, um, which was the case in this one example. Um, but 
I do wear my hair the way God intended, right? In other words, my hair grows and it reaches for the sky. Um, it's an afro, you know, or a crown or whatever you like to call it. It's just, it's my hair. That's how it comes, right? I don't change it. I don't really do anything to it. It's just, it just is what it is, right? And to the wrong people, um, that can be intimidating or that can be, in their opinion, unprofessional or whatever the case is, right? And obviously everyone has to play the game. Um, but there are some rules that I will not play by. You know, I, I will be the way God made me. My hair will be the way God made it. You know, I'm not going to, I can't change that. It's, it's encoded into my genetics, right? And nor should, nor should me or anybody else change who they fundamentally are to, you know, have to play this game. But um, I also recognize that if I'm not going to budge, that I have to work in a workaround, right? Um, my hair has always been a, a part of my brand. You know, we say this all the time, but Q and I are DJs, you know, and, and part of being a DJ and an entertainer is, you know, having a certain look, right? And for me, in addition to me wearing my hair for my own reasons, my own spiritual and personal and, and cultural reasons, my hair is also a part of my brand. You know, it's just kind of one of those things folks associate with. So there's no way around this, no matter how you look at it, fiscally or otherwise. So what I did when I was meeting with the, uh, the health department, I was, I was working on a health campaign with the health department. Um, prior to actually meeting these folks, I had done a lot of emailing back and forth, letting them know, hey, I can help you with your media buys. Um, I can help you with your outdoor buys. You can buy billboards and th these zip codes. You can you know, um, uh, buy advertising in these magazines, you can buy radio ads, you know, on these radio stations, and you can put together a campaign that will reach the folks that you're really trying to reach and have multiple impressions from different sources that I believe will, you know, get the word out the way you'd like and be effective, you know, um, and I can help you craft the language and the visuals and so forth, because I know the people you're trying to reach and I can help you reach them. And they love this, you know, so the ideas flowed back and forth, back and forth. And, and then it, time came for us to have a meeting. Um, I was working with a much bigger ad agency to actually handle my media buys. And so they weren't in the deal as of yet. Um, they just kind of had my back if I needed to come with them with a budget. You know, so it was a six figure deal that I was working on. And I knew prior to going into this meeting that uh, I'm going to need someone that these folks can talk to. And as it turns out, um, I had a friend named Russ. I still have this friend, right? And Russ and I had been through a lot together. We'll say that. But Russ is just like you think. He's a middle-aged white man, looks great in a tie, looks like he knows what he's talking about. And he understood that I was fine being the cool guy but when it came time to have these really important conversations, despite my education, despite my familiarity with the subject matter, and despite it, them being my actual ideas that I came up on my own in my own space, um, I would never be able to, I wouldn't be listened to in the same way. And so I asked him, I was like, hey, Russ, could you come to this first meeting with me? Uh, just the first one, please. 
and sit in the meeting and start the meeting, you know, and then turn it over to me. And then you, you, for all they know, you're my boss. Um, and then you turn it over to me and then I'll do the talking. So that way it looks like it's both of us because they'll feel like they're doing business with you. And, uh, but they'll get the actual information from me. So you don't have to study this stuff. You don't have to peel back any layers. And I was like, and I'll cut you in on, you know, some of the money, you know, if, if we get this taken care of. And Russ, of course, being the salesman that he was, you know, he's a, he's an old sales guy from radio, which is how I knew him. He says, yeah, absolutely, man. I get what you're trying to do. I got you. Just give me a, the Cliff's notes and then we'll, we'll knock it out of the park. And that's exactly what happened. And that relationship snowballed into other relationships where Russ would be with me when I'm doing media buys, um, when I'm sitting down with these uh, logistics companies, when I'm sitting down with all kinds of companies, you know, um, Russ would be my guy that would be the white guy in the room to make the other white guys feel like perhaps um, if we did business with this couple of people here, we would get the results that we want. Whereas me by myself, I'm not sure that I would have had those same results. I'd never had any results outside of Russ. And it didn't matter how much I talked or how, quote, as you put it, well-spoken or what my education was. Um, there was a couple of things, not the least of which is my skin. Remember, I'm in Arizona. These middle-aged white men are oftentimes very right-leaning, very conservative types who you know, they come from a different time and, you know, they're not as familiar interacting with folks that don't look like them. And I'm not trying to be any kind of way. And I'm not trying to say anything. I'm just telling you my reality, how similar it is to this couple. Now I want to read one more thing and I want to get your thoughts, Q. Um, to add to this, um, a long time ago, when I was maybe 17 years old, I worked at a Nissan dealership, right? And I had to study all these cars, Xterras and Maximas and everything like that. I thought I was grown up, man. I was 17. I had a grown up <laughs> job. I had to wear a suit, you know, to sell these cars. Um, and I, I just got a kick out of that, man. I'm a, I'm a big fan of cars. So um, at this time, I read something uh, that we got, we got as like staff, as salespeople. I read something that suggested that Nissan was in trouble, like legal trouble for um, giving higher interest rates overall, the sales departments at the dealerships across the country and the Nissan financing company and all this sort of stuff were giving higher interest rates to black people. Now, this was many years ago. This is uh, 20 some odd years ago when this happened. So, you know, I, this is how I remember it which might not be entirely accurate, but I do remember that Nissan was charging more interest for black people overall. And it was a clear, it was clear, like ones and zeros racism, you know, the same credit score, same situations. You know, if you're comparing apples to apples, the blacker you are, the higher your interest rate. Right. And we needed to know about that in case someone came in to try to buy an Altima or a Sentra or whatever, right? We needed to know how to defend against that. And there was me and there was another guy there. His name was Sherman. He was also black. Um, and we had to like really sit with this, like, okay, so they know this is happening. They, 
acknowledge it. And then now they're informing us on how to, to deal with the customer. They want us to be able to speak to it intelligently. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? So the reason I bring that up is because not just this house, but um, uh, and this comes from the New York Daily News. In 2016, Toyota, not Nissan, and this is many years later, right? Toyota agreed to pay back $21.9 million to thousands of African-American and Asian borrowers when it was determined that dealers routinely charge customers of color higher interest rates than white customers with the same credit score and income level. To be clear, this wasn't an aberration of some sort, but appears to be an industry standard. And now we have more substance to suggest that going in to a meeting where finances are, are at stake, money is at stake, with black skin, that counts against you, right? And we know, not just in the United States, but across the world, things that are associated with poverty. We, we're seeing textbook examples of why it's more difficult for black folks to build wealth. You know, we could go all the way back and discuss redlining. We could look at right now and discuss the school to prison pipeline. We could look at the war on drugs. We could look at a number of things. But right now we're looking this in the face, the ones and zeros, right? And we know that crime and, and uh, poor health, poor education, all these things tend to follow the money line. You know, the poorer these people are, the more difficult of a, a go that there is and the more challenged the community is, right? So we're seeing these things here. And not for nothing, I kind of applaud this couple. I think that's a brilliant idea. Let's get some white folks in here so that we can get a little bit more money out of this house, right? But the reason that I wanted to share that with you, our listener, is because this might not be something you might be aware of. You know, in your world, it's this, this whole thing might be Black people versus the police, or maybe that's not your persuasion and you're like, Black people can't get over slavery. Why can't they just fix their own problems, you know, or whatever the case is, you know, there's just some stories that we need to tell. And this is the show that we have, and we can tell these stories. Now, I would love to get your reaction as well, Q. What are your thoughts? We've got about two and a half minutes. My thoughts are going to be, I'm glad you said that. My thoughts are going to be much shorter and much less eloquent than you might think. That's okay. We have to, we have to come to terms with things like that being brilliant and disgusting all at the same time like we have to laugh at their brilliance like yo you know <laughs> play the game you played it go ahead <laughs> but dude do you know how like sometimes all we can do is laugh sure and smile as to not burn the whole place down like sure. <laughs> we have to just be like man goodness gracious and you know I almost swore right there so I had to go to goodness gracious to keep from saying a curse word we have to really just be like man wow like the game really is set up for us to fail perpetually like they don't want us to ever just be okay I re uh, so don't let me stop you but I want to jump in right here this is not the only thing we're talking about cars and houses and we're talking about money we're not even considering political opportunities we're not considering employment opportunities which i guess is kind of tied to money but also i think to a degree tied to the capacity to influence um, we're not talking about 
you know, life and death, you know, which we will talk about a little bit later with respect to um, police. We're not talking about the criminal justice system. We're not talking about educational opportunities. We're not talking about a lot of different things. We're just talking about this couple and their house. And, you know, for those that listen to the show, you might know because we talk about things like this all the time. But for those that don't, here's a, something you might not have considered. All right, please continue. we got another 30 seconds or so. Um, I'll, just, I'll just finish it up by saying, but we are talking about all that stuff you just said we weren't talking about. Sure. We're talking about all of that all the time. Mm-hmm. And just like the stats with the car dealerships and with lending and interest rates and finance, we have all this data. We have more and we have even more in the amount and even more in the level of how compelling it is data to speak to all that other stuff you just said with the only condition being don't look like us and you'll be fine. And it'll be okay. Look like us and everything is going to be harder for you just based on that. And we have to live with knowing this is true every day and we don't burn this place down. Like think about that part. And we don't now, nor have we ever even tried to burn this place down. All right. And that's a good enough place to leave it for right now. Stick around your radios. We're coming back with more Civic Cypher right after this.